0: We're going to go to one of the most powerful verses, one of the greatest chapters in the New Testament. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, And we're going to talk about the connection direction today. And starting at uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, we're just going to read that that one verse there. Uh, There's a lot of great chapters in the New Testament. There are just so many amazing chapters. First Corinthians 13 measures up to all of them. It is a chapter I read often at weddings. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not self-seeking. It doesn't keep record of wrongs. It always hopes. It always believes. Love... Never fails. And so there's part of that here. uh, Just a a wonderful, incredible chapter. Um, I mean, you can think about uh, John chapter 3. You can think about John chapter 11, the story of Lazarus, John 15. You can think about Galatians 5, which is about the fruit of the Spirit for the works of the flesh. You can think about Ephesians 4, take off the old man, put on. There are just so many great chapters, but 1 Corinthians 13 is one of the biggies and one of the great ones. And we're just going to look at the verse that closes that today. Um, when I was 12 years old, uh, I walked around, I had, a, I went on a walk with my dad around the block and on this walk around the block, my, I think my dad was kind of like doing that dad thing where he's like, let's go on a walk, but I really want to talk to you. You know, like that distraction thing that dad's doing. So we're walking around the block and my dad says to me about halfway around, he says, well, Mark, what do you want to do with your life? What do you want to be when you grow up? And being who I am, I had two answers for him right away of things that I thought that I would be really good at being when I got to be an adult. The first one was that I should be president (laughs) because, of course, right? I'm a 12-year-old boy, and I I think I know answers to everything, so I should be the president. Um, I had a whole plan where we would eliminate money altogether because money causes all kinds of problems, and I was 12 years old, but, you know, it sounded good to me at the time. Um, But I said, if that doesn't work out, uh, I really think that I I should be a pastor. So I was 12 years old, and I thought I should be a pastor. In my mind, those were the roles that I thought could help the world be a better place. Those were the places that I would felt drawn to. Like, I want to have a voice in trying to do things in this world and, and with people's lives that help it go to better instead of worse. But as I stand up here this morning at 51 years old, I can tell you this, the pathway from 12-year-old Mark saying I should be a pastor when I grew up to me now being a pastor when I grew up was not a straight line. It was really kind of all over the place. I mean, when I was in high school, I spoke in chapel and I spoke in church. I went to a Christian school, so I was one of those preacher kids that, that when they wanted somebody to do devotional at the sports event, they would say, Mark, could you do a devotional for us? Um, I was the president of our youth group, and I did competitive preaching contests and things like that. Then I went off to a Christian college, and I, I studied something else. I didn't study Bible, and I wasn't part of the preacher program there. But I thought everybody would just still see me like they saw me in high school, but they didn't. They all were like, oh, well, you're one of those other people. You're not. Nobody asked me. I think I spoke like three times in a Sunday school class in college, which kind of surprised me. I would come home from college and I would teach at my church, adult Sunday school, all summer long. Then I would go back to college and everybody would be like, well, you're not one of those people. I got elected to be like the president of our fraternity, but not the chaplain. You know, what I mean? nobody saw me as a chaplain. They saw me as this other thing, which surprised me because I didn't really understand that. I got out of college and I went off and I worked in the business sector for a little while. Um, And, you know, at the same time, I started volunteering at church as a youth pastor. Uh, And I worked in the business sector for a few years. And then they asked me to to leave my job and become a full-time youth pastor. And literally, two weeks after I stepped into what I said I should be when I was 12 years old, two weeks after, our church split. And bad, it split bad. It was like half the people walked out the door. So there, was that, there were those moments where I, I was, did I do the wrong thing? Is this going to work out? Do I need to call my boss back at the engineering firm and say, can I have my job back? A decade later, at, you know, we kind of weathered that storm, but a decade later, I found myself out of ministry and vowing to never be a pastor again. To say the least, the journey from 12-year-old, I think I'll be a pastor when I grew up, to now is anything but a straight line. You've probably experienced that in your life too. What you thought would just be as simple from here to here turned out to not be simple at all. Parenting is like that. Jobs are like that. Health journeys sometimes are like that. Relationships are like that. Spiritual growth is like that. It is not a straight line from here to there. And maybe you've never called it, you know, uh, that my, my, my journey is not a straight line, but you know the feeling of having something that you think is good, a desire that you believe in, but the experience of pursuing that or acting on that desire surprisingly fell off a cliff or derailed or ran into a brick wall. Because, th- and the, the, the thing about that is it makes us so disappointed because we feel like progress should be a straight line, don't we? We feel like if I, like today, if you came to church and you're you're living in some things that you shouldn't be living in, and you say, you know what, God, I'm going to follow you today. I'm going to start doing the right thing today. You expect payoff for that, don't you? You expect like good things to happen. And when they don't, you're like, well, that didn't work. I must have done it wrong, or God must not have heard, or he must not be paying attention. We expect, and we know from experience that it's kind of immature, But we also inherently have this expectation that when I believe in something and I know something is good and I head towards it, I should move straight from here to there. The twists and turns should not be a part of it. And when they are, they confuse me, they discourage me, and they make me want to quit. Something that is good, they make me want to quit. I mean, we don't have enough time to just waste our time and waste our energy. And we really don't have the brain space to try to sit down and figure out what works. So when things don't happen in a straight line, we move on. Well, that didn't work. We move on. But what we've learned over life, if we think about it, is that the truth of life is that good things, even the most valuable things, come not because we arrive at a destination straightway, but because we choose a direction we believe in and we stay at it. Have you learned that in life? That you have to choose a direction that you believe in and you have to stick with it. Because we are in a war field. We are play, you know, like on a battlefield against an enemy of our soul who will do anything and everything he can to discourage you from the things that will gets you to where you need to go. It is more important to choose a direction and stay with it because we can get obsessed with measuring whether we've arrived at the destination or not, but the destination is only the result of sticking to a direction. And so today at church, we've been talking, and we will talk through this month, about this idea of connectedness in the body of Christ. We have to choose a direction as a church. We choose it collectively collectively, And then we all choose it individually. And your individual choices weigh in to our collective choices about what kind of church we're going to be and what direction we are going to go. So let me ask you, it's just us here. Should we be a church of isolation, of loneliness, of lone rangers, of disconnectedness? Should we be a church of shallow, A church where you put on a face and you pretend when you show up and then you walk out back to the real hard life stuff and you hope nobody ever finds out how bad you're struggling. Is that the kind of church we should be? That's the decision that you make every single time you show up. Every single time we talk about small group, every single time a small group shows up, you decide what direction you're going to go in. And by deciding your direction, you decide the direction of our church. And so I'm saying church, the reason we're talking about this on Sunday morning is we've got to choose to go in the connection direction, the way that goes towards people being deeply integrated and bonded with one another, to be a family the way that God designed us to be. And we have to keep going in that direction even when things get awkward. Even when it's hard, even when you have conversations that fall flat, even when you're embarrassed. I know this is hard to understand and process, but I'm saying to you that if you give up on a direction, you will never get to the destination because the direction determines the destination. As long as you keep going that direction, it will take you to that destination. And I'm saying for us, this month is about us collectively choosing the connection direction. We all have to share that passion and that load. And so that's why I'm going to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we're going to look at verse 13 here at the start. And it simply says this. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So Paul, he goes through this whole chapter. And I'm going to talk about this chapter in a second. But Paul goes through this whole chapter about what life is about and, and what 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 endures. And he says, these three remain, these three endure, endure faith, hope, and love. But then he says, the greatest of these is love. The greatest thing, he's pointing out and he says, I think as you look at the world today, that is reflected in the way that our world operates. The greatest thing is love. I think that may be one of the most true statements to accurately define how The world works and what drives the world because love drives so much in the world, doesn't it? Well, maybe I should say this. The fascination with and the pursuit of love, the discussion of love drives so much in our world. I don't know that all of it is love, but we have this hard wiring inside of us. It drives us to write love songs and to go watch love stories and read love stories in books and hear about what's happening in someone else's love life. We have people who want to be in love, people who have fallen out of love and the tragedy of that, and people who are looking for love. When, when someone gets married, they put a lot of money into their day that is all about a celebration of love. So our world is kind of obsessed with the greatest of these, with the idea of love. But as believers, as a church, what we recognize as we read the New Testament is that love is central to understanding who God is who our Creator is. Because John tells us in 1 John 4 that God is love. So if I want to know who God is, if I want to know who I will answer to and who made me and who gave me purpose and who said He would want to rescue me, i got to understand what love is. Love is central to understanding our Creator. It is also the clarifying command of the New Testament. Love God and love your neighbor. Jesus said, this is how all men will know you're my disciple, if you love one another. The greatest of these is love. Would you agree with me that love points to relationship? Does love point to, I mean, it's not like I just randomly love the world. I just walk around with this cloud of love. Love is specific toward people, right? And so love is about relationship. It is about being close to someone in a caring community so that I can treat them with love, so that I can care about what happens to them, so that I can include them in my life. Love is about relationship. And what you find if you study the book of 1 Corinthians is that most of 1 Corinthians is about relationship. It starts off talking in the church about how there are all these divisions in the church, People think that we're better uh, followers of Christ than you, and they they found reasons why. That doesn't happen today, right? But that's what they were doing back then, right? And so Paul addresses this idea that everyone is nobody except in Christ. So all your identity needs to be in Christ, and that allows you to be connected. That allows you to be related to one another without all these divisions, we find them suing one another, taking each other to court in chapter 6. And Paul says, you shouldn't do that. You're brothers in Christ, your sisters in Christ, you shouldn't treat each other that way. In chapter 8, we find out about activities and behaviors that they're doing that are hurting brothers and sisters, causing them to fall back into sin, tripping them up in their walk of faith. And Paul says, because you love them, you shouldn't do that. And so Paul right in the middle of telling them to see themselves like a connected body, talks about this, love is the greatest. Love is the greatest of these. He says, you don't look down on other people. You don't look down on yourself. You see everyone in the church is vital because we're a body. We are related. We are connected. Love is the greatest of these. Love is the greatest of these. For us as a church, love is the greatest of these. So if that's true, and I think we all agree it because it's right there on the page and you would look you know, bad not to agree with it. So since we all agree with that, love is the greatest of these. Let me ask you this question. How do we treasure love? How do we collectively reflect that love relationships healthy good strong connected relationships are the greatest of it how do we pursue love we're going to respond to scripture we're not just taking information we're trying to respond to scripture and if we're going to respond to it he tells us the greatest of these is love how do we respond to that that means Lots of things for us as a church. It means we take seriously Jesus' words to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so that means we care about the outsider. We care about the weak. We care about the wicked. Hard as that is to do. Until we remember we're wicked. We care about the weird. We care about people. Because Jesus died for people. And because Jesus died for people, we care about people because he cares about people. One of the ways that we pursue love and relationship in coordination as a church is small groups. To choose value in getting together so that I can know you and you can know me. And we can spend time together walking through life. Love lived out, not just sitting together on Sunday, but actually praying for one another, sharing with each other, planning time together, prioritizing what it takes to be really connected. So we have a collective responsibility for love to be this big thing. And the way that we pursue that is we say, we're gonna do this structure of small groups, but then there's individual responsibility. I cannot come to your house and pick you up and drive you to small groups. You know what I mean? That's a decision that you make. You can opt out of it if you so choose. But what I'm saying to you is I hope that you see that love is the greatest of these. And because it's the greatest of these, it deserves some of your time and attention and energy. You cannot really embrace the fact that love is the greatest of these and ignore the people in your church family and not give any sacrificed, devoted, dedicated, directional time to them. You have to choose to go in a direction that connects you with them. The problem is that love is also a very crooked path. A very crooked path. Love is not love without pushing against challenges and obstacles. Love is not love unless it faces up when the danger shows up. I mean, really, you almost can't know for sure that you got love going on unless hardship drops in your lap, darkness overwhelms, and love comes through. Because love doesn't cut and run when things get hard. Love perseveres, it endures, it finds a way through. And maybe the only way you know that it actually is love is when it has every excuse to run away, but it doesn't. Why do I say that? Well, earlier in this chapter, there's, there's this whole description about love. And I don't know if you've ever read that with this context, but I, I thought this about two years ago and it just changed the way that I read 1 Corinthians 13. Almost everything in the description of love, verse 4, verse 5, verse 6, verse 7, verse 8a, all of those verses, almost every single one of them, puts love in a frame where things are not right or good or easy. There's turbulence or trouble or pain, and love shows up in it. Let me give you an example. The first one, love is patient. My goal is to be patient. Okay, well, what does that mean is going to have to happen in my life? Frustration. Things don't move as quickly as I'd like them to. Someone is not keeping up with my pace, and I'm going to have to slow down my pace to meet their pace. Not because I want to, but because I love them. Not because I think my pace is wrong, but because I love them. Patient. Love is kind. And the only way that that word has meaning is that love chooses kind when choosing kind isn't simple or easy. Love keeps no record of wrongs. That means wrongs have been done. Love does not envy. That means I'm facing a scenario where I wish I had more than I do. I feel a loss and a lack and I look at somebody else and I say, I wish I had what they had. Love shows up over and over in this negative frame. It is not a straight line. Well, I love you. La, all the music plays, and the, the words scroll, and everything, harps play. That's not love. Love is gritty, and hard, and, and strong, and faces up to those challenges. That's how we know that it's love. Love protects, love hopes, love believes, love endures. These are the words that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 13 and if you think about it all of them have this negative vibe surrounding them and it is an opportunity to step in and so maybe we need to think about love differently if we're going to be connected as a church maybe we not need to stop seeking out love as something comfortable easy and convenient Where it's like, well, I like those people. They're easy to talk to. They make me feel comfortable. Therefore, I love them. I want to be around them. Maybe love is about pursuing someone in a relationship that doesn't just come at the snap of your finger. Maybe it's not something where if you feel like it, you show up at small group. And if you don't feel like it, you don't show up at small group. Maybe love requires more. It's not finding people who agree with me and then singing together for a few minutes. It's recognizing that we have to face the awkward and the hard and the daunting together. Where do we do that? We're going to have this discussion over the coming weeks. Actually, two weeks from today, I've got several people from our church who are going to share their story about connection. And in every one of those stories, you're going to hear how challenges get faced and met in order for people to connect that love is not a straight line. You don't walk in the door of the church and someone says hi to you and suddenly you're an insider and you know everything. It takes work. It takes effort. And I'm saying to you, if you're an outsider or you feel like an outsider, it's going to take work. It's going to take awkward. But love is the greatest thing. So it's worth it. And if we are people who are already insiders, love is our work. So we're looking at doing that work to, in, in ways like forming small groups so there's place for relationship. So we move beyond the idea of online church or a drive through church where you drive up and you go in and you sit down and you check off the box. I went to church today and I worshipped and it made me cry and then Mark said some things and I might have learned something and then I left and I went on back, back, back to my life. Instead, love is the greatest. And if love is the greatest of these... That means I've got to, to pursue it. I've got to prioritize it. I've got to make it a part of my life on purpose. Jesus said, this is how all will know you are my disciple, if you love one another. Now, before we move on, I'm going to go back to this verse because there's two other things that Paul says in this verse. He says, let me go back and read it again. Now there are these three things that remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love, but those other two play a role in love. They are intricately and intimately connected with love. What happens is, we excuse our direction towards isolation. I'm saying we should be choosing, we should be the most connected people, we should be choosing the direction of connection. We should be always moving towards connectedness. But instead, what happens in church is we excuse our actual direction towards isolation. And we think we have legitimate excuses. You may well have legitimate excuses. You're very busy. You're very tired. You're very old. You're very young. You're very weird, whatever, right? You've been burnt in the past. And so you may have legitimate excuses, but here's the truth that you already know, but you like to set aside when we talk about small groups and we talk about intentional connectedness, we talk about prioritizing church in your life, taking a step forward in your faith. You do this all the time. Just because you have a legitimate excuse does not excuse you from the consequences of the choice anyway. All right, so you've been burnt. Yep, totally. You get the excuse. Absolutely. I understand why you don't want to be connected to people. Absolutely understand. Now, if you follow that, if you take that excuse and you follow towards isolation, you are going to feel alone. You don't get excused from the consequence of the direction you choose. It's just what it is. Your direction takes you somewhere, but we excuse ourselves. And so since we're all in this together, even though some of us are trying not to be, I think it's important for all of us to look at this. These other two core parts of being a believer, and they're both very key to this idea of doing the work of connecting, facing the challenges in love. First one it talks about is faith. Faith, hope, and love. Faith. Faith is definitely a part of being a Christian, right? We talk about your your journey of faith and do you have faith in God and all that. But another way that you can talk about faith is trust. And when I put the word trust in there for faith, boy, that brings a lot of things to life, doesn't it? One reason people choose to excuse themselves from the connection direction is because they've been hurt and it's hard for them to trust. I say this almost every time I do premarital counseling. Love is one of the most durable things that you will ever experience in life. Love, if it's real love, it doesn't shake no matter what comes. But trust is one of the most fragile things we have in life. It breaks very easily. And it is really hard to repair after it breaks. So I encourage couples, if you're going to get married, love is a great thing to have and it's definitely necessary. But trust is the thing you should keep your eye on. Because it's much easier to protect trust than it is to restore trust after it's been broken. And so here we've got this idea of trust. Faith or trust connected to love. Trust is absolutely necessary for connection. As a matter of fact, you cannot be close to people that you don't trust. Trust defines how deep it goes and how connected you are. So if you've been hurt, It is understandable that you don't want to trust. Totally understandable. But what direction are you going? Most people, when they find themselves having been hurt, and they feel like trust is what made them vulnerable, most people start on a pathway of distrust, thinking that it will keep them safe. So what you've done is you've changed your direction from connected to safe. Because you've trusted distrust to keep you safe. Distrust will never lead you to trust. It won't. I'm not saying that there's not places and opportunities and reasons for people to get, you know, like check in and rebuild trust and stuff. I'm just saying distrust is not a pathway back to trusting again. So if you let distrust be your guide, it will take you where distrust always leads to isolation To loneliness, you may well be safe, but you will be miserable and alone. So a lot of people show up here at Hope having been burnt in churches in the past or in life in the past. And I get it. I showed up here that way too. But what I'm saying to you is don't allow distrust and safe to become your destination and your direction. Instead, you may not know how to find your way back to trusting people, but God does. So turn your life over to God and allow Him to start leading you to show you how you should trust again. Maybe the way that you trusted in the past was wrong. You've got to learn how to trust the right way. Or maybe you trusted the wrong people, but you should have known better, and now you can know better so you can trust the right people. But one way or the other, you've got to resurrender to the Lord, to allow Him to teach you how to trust. Because without trust, love is a distant concept. It's a fairy tale. It's way off there in the distance, but you'll never be able to hold it close. Faith, hope, and love. Trust. The other one is hope. Sounds like a good word. It's actually the name of our church. So, really good word. It certainly is a good thing to have, but understand the word hope, right inherently in it, has that challenge of life part to it hope is not when life is all good and easy and smooth life is for the storm i mean hope is for the storm it is necessary when things don't look like we feel like they should or we want them to look we have to choose actions and attitudes and 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 behaviors believing that things will wind up in a good place through hope even when all i see is the bad stuff that's hope when we talk about a connection, direction, we talk about love. Love is hand in hand with hope. The barrier for many people in love and connection is that they've given up hope or that their hope is very flimsy. At the first sign of trouble, they turn back. They, they, they come to this certainty again that this is all very dangerous and this isn't worth it and this won't work. So they wave the white flag and they go away. Again, you may have a very good reason to have given up hope. But I would suggest to you that you have a much better reason to hope. The God who saved you, the one who made you, invites you to hope because you have hope in him. Because he is the one who is teaching us through his word. He is the one pouring his spirit into us. He is the one creating a family from various peoples and various backgrounds and various ideas and various philosophies, and he's binding us together. Our hope is not in everybody getting it, everybody agreeing with me, everybody making me comfortable. Our hope is that God, if we will follow him down this direction, will do ultimate good in our lives. That is hope. Hope is what allows us to keep going instead of keeping us stuck. And so it takes faith and hope in order to love. And what I'm saying is I'm calling us to have the courage to have all three of those because it's worth it. The greatest of these is love and love requires that you have hope and that you have faith or trust as well so that we can have the kind of connectedness that we long for but maybe we don't think we're eligible for. Faith, hope, and love. The other passage I want to look at just for a minute or two is this because I think this is so powerfully uh, written and explained in Galatians chapter 6. So if you have your Bible, you can go to Galatians chapter 6 with me. It's just a couple verses here. But it's it's this idea that the connection direction is not a straight line. It is something that we choose and something that we we let play out over time. It's a direction we keep going. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. It's this other passage. Now, some people see this out of context when they read this. They think that this is talking about your eternal destination, but it isn't. If you read Galatians, this is not about where you wind up after you die. This is about the experience you have in this life while we're here. It comes out of the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit in, chapter, in the verses before that. And then it, it comes down into chapter 6 about brothers and sisters, love one another, carry each other's burdens, fulfill the law of Christ. And so then it comes to, to verse 7 here and it says this, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. What he does is he says, don't get this wrong, don't fool yourself, don't pretend what you plant is what you will harvest. What you plant is what you will, he's talking about in your day in, day out life here, what you plant, the choices that you make, he's saying you make the choices and the choices that you make, you will know what they will grow into by whether or not they are, what he says, from the flesh or from the spirit if the harvest that you are currently reaping is destruction, corruption, corrosion, rotting, what he says is you can know what you planted by the harvest that you're getting. You have a choice about where you're going, about what you will receive, about what you will reap one day. And so he says, look very carefully at what you want to harvest, at what destination you want, and then determine what you're going to plant So you get that harvest. That's why I keep saying to you, you have got to choose intentional connection. It doesn't mean that the first time that you show up to church, everything in your life is going to change. But if you want a different life, you've got to keep coming. Even when nothing has changed, you need faith, you need hope, and you need love. And if you will continue to come, then you can see God do work in it. Small group is the same way. The first time you show up at small group, it might be the best night of your life. It might be the most awkward night of your life. You might not even go to the right small group the first time. It might not be the one that you wind up in for long term. But if you continue in the direction, you're going to find fruit there that God has for you that you desperately need. It is only something that we can offer. It isn't something we can do for you. But because we are connected as a body, it matters that all of us have this in our life. When he talks about destination and direction, when he talks about sowing and reaping, both cases, the end isn't realized as you start. The end is realized at the end. It is a process and not often a straight line process. But you have to have the hope, the confidence that this is going to take me where God wants me to go. So, we collectively, church family, we get to choose what this church pursues. The reason we're spending this month on this idea of connectedness and small group and and finding a way to be that kind of a body is because we believe it matters. We believe it's what we're called to, and we believe it's what God wants for us. I am not saying in any way that small group is not work, it is work. But what I am saying is it's worth the work. Because it reflects better in today's chaotic world what God has called us to be as the body of Christ. And so I'm saying, let's consider doing that work. As a leader and as your church leaders together, we have experienced it. We know that it's worth it and we're offering it to you. And we're saying to you, please step in. Find so much more of what God has for you as his child. Let's together choose the direction towards connection even though you have hundreds of excuses not to, even though it's as dangerous as you could possibly imagine and you know all the ways that this could go wrong and could go south, even though have faith, have hope, so that you can have the greatest of these, which is love. That's what I want for you. That's what your Lord wants for you. That's what we're praying God will bring about. So we're going to close our service this morning. I'm going to ask you just to stand with me as we close in prayer. I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer, asking God to do this, in our church family. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that when we were far away from you, you didn't leave us far away from you. Instead, you came to pursue us, to seek us out, to find us, and to make a way for us to know you. I thank you, God, that you cared about us like that, that that you valued love, that you valued belonging, that you valued... Inviting outsiders in like that. So much so that though it cost you your son's life, you willingly chose to pay that price because the greatest of these is love because you are love. Father, we are your people. We are your sons and daughters. We need to follow you like that. Lead us. Show us. Teach us. Challenge us. Help us open up our souls to what you want to show us this day, this month, this year. Help us to get in, moving in a direction towards that kind of connectedness that reflects the very way you've described the family of God as the body of Christ, as a family, as brothers and sisters. Help us to reflect that, not in a shallow way at all, but in the depths that you meant it when you described it like that. We put ourselves in your hands. We ask you to give us strength, to give us wisdom, to give us help. We ask you to lead us there. Help us follow you, we pray. For it's in the name of Jesus we ask. Amen.